Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, I like to start a sermon in an uplifting style, talking about something that's fun to talk about, something that's really makes you feel good when you go home. So let's talk about famine. <laughs> Not particularly uplifting, is it? But there was a famine in Judea, in Bethlehem. And a man of Bethlehem, a man from Judea, named Elimelech, took his wife and his family, his two sons, and they went to live in the country of Moab. Now, generally speaking, Moab and Israel had a lot of conflict between them. In this case, it's a relative period of peace between Judea and Moab. As I mentioned, Elimelech is from Bethlehem. Bethlehem in Hebrew means house of bread. Ba'it lahem. Ba'it meaning house of lahem, bread. So here was a guy suffering from a famine in a city called House of Bread. And he goes to Moab. There's some irony there, don't you think? And I mention this because in the next chapter of Ruth, there's a grain harvest in Bethlehem. And it kind of foreshadows that grain harvest. And if you could skip all the way to the fourth chapter of Ruth, which we're not going to do today, but then it foreshadows another kind of harvest. Because an heir is born in the house. An heir who will become an ancestor of the king of Jews, David, who will become an ancestress of Jesus. Now the grace of God is shown in the book of Ruth by the truth that participation in the kingdom of God isn't determined by birth or by who your ancestors are. It comes from obedience stemming from faith, as the Apostle Paul writes in Romans. Ruth is a Moabite woman. She's the great-grandmother of King David, as I mentioned, and an ancestor of Jesus, as is mentioned in Matthew. Truly, my friends, all nations are represented in the kingdom of God. Now, don't you think it's kind of ironic that a woman named Ruth, who's from Moab, not a Jew, not a Judean, not an Israeli, becomes an ancestor of King David, becomes an ancestress of Jesus? What's God doing? He's bringing people from all over into this story, isn't he? Kind of like he brought you and me. If he hadn't done that kind of stuff, we wouldn't be here. Not as Lutherans, anyway. I've got a question for you. Actually, two questions. This is for you trivia buffs. Linda, you might want to write these down. The book of Ruth is named after who? All right, you get 10 points. <laughs> Next question. You know, first service, Scott said, double down on this. All right, this is worth 20 points. What's the other book of the Bible named after a, wom a woman? What is it? 
Did you answer that first again? I I'm impressed. He's on my trivia team. <laughs> He's on your trivia team? Okay. Anyway, I, I don't know if these will actually be there trivia night, but I'm sure they will be. And you'll be thinking, I know that. I know that. I heard that. Anyway. Now, we don't know who the author of the book of Ruth is. It's not Ruth. But judging by the style of the Hebrew, the literary style, that is, it was probably written in the time of the monarchy, which is yet to come. So somebody's writing this story sometime after it took place, which is probably the best way to write a story. Although I write my story kind of as I go. Now our story is set in the time of Judges, as characterized in the book of Judges. For 30 points, what is Judges named after? All right, somebody got 30 points there. <laughs> the time of Judges is a time of moral and religious degeneracy. Time of national disunity. It's a time of general foreign oppression. Even though at this point in our story, there's kind of a period of peace between Judea and Moab. There's also something in the book of Ruth that you might not think of. There's an account of the remnant of the true faith. The true faith of faith and piety. And it sheds a little light on an otherwise dark period in that era. These verses this morning show us the beginning of Ruth's selfless and unswerving devotion to her desolate mother-in-law, Naomi. Now, it might be surprising to you that one who shows the love of God to such an extent is a Moabitess from Moab. But her total devotion to Naomi, her loyalty to her mother-in-law, to her new family, marks her as a true daughter of Israel by marriage and as a worthy descendant, a worthy ancestress, I'm sorry, a worthy ancestress of King David. She shows us the truth that participation in the coming kingdom of God isn't decided by blood, by birth, by race, but by conformity of one's life to the will of God through the obedience that comes of faith. Now we know, we're Lutherans, we know we are saved by grace through faith. But because of that, not to earn it, but because of it, we do our best to be obedient to the will of God. We don't always succeed. Certainly not. There are times when we stumble, we fall, but we get back up and we try to be obedient. We really do. I remember as a little boy, I would resolve time after time that I was gonna sin no more, that I was gonna be obedient to my mom and dad. Sometimes it lasted till I got out the door. <laughs> Usually it didn't last that long. But that's true. You know, I took those things seriously, but not seriously enough to change my character. 
Now I do, of course. Because, you know, along with Pastor Scott, we are the next best thing to perfection. <laughs> and I'm a Norwegian, so I might be a little bit higher. <laughs> anyway, I want to bring it to your attention how Naomi says to her daughters-in-law, both Orpah and Ruth, may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with me. This phrase struck me, deal kindly. The word kindly, it comes from the Hebrew word hesed. And you probably remember Pastor Scott talking about it just a few weeks ago. Kindness, mercy. This is hesed, what Ruth is showing to her mother-in-law. And Naomi wishes the same back to her daughters-in-law. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with me. And they have dealt kindly with her to this point. Now at this point, Orpah goes back to her country, to her family, to her mother's home. As a widow, what else can she do? Now Ruth is also a widow. Naomi is a widow as well. And of course, Naomi is Ruth's mother-in-law. But the thing is here, this daughter-in-law, Ruth, a woman of Moab, stays with her mother-in-law, shows devotion to her mother-in-law, treats her with hesed, kindness. And the thing is, it describes God's covenant with Israel, but also God's covenant with us. Doesn't he deal with us with mercy and kindness, even though we don't deserve it? He does, for the sake of his son, Jesus Christ. He constantly is dealing with us with kindness and mercy. And we are to do the same in turn with all those that we deal with. What does God desire of people? Remember Micah 6.8? To act justly, to love mercy, love mercy, and to humbly walk with our God. God treats us with mercy and we should do the same. God values mercy. He loves mercy, and we should do the same. And this point is constantly emphasized throughout Ruth. It's also obliquely mentioned in the Gospel of Mark that you heard me read. Remember Jesus asking his disciples, where are my mother and my brothers? Now the story there, of course, is there's a large crowd around Jesus, his mother and his brothers can't get through. They want to take Jesus home because he's obviously not quite right in the head. And Jesus is told, your mother and your brothers are here. And he asks, where are my mother and my brothers? Not meaning his family, but meaning all the people around him. Who are my mother and my brothers? And he answers his question. Whoever does God's will is my brother and my mother. Whoever does God's will is my brother and my mother. Now remember Ruth? Ruth left her country. She left her family. 
she left her gods, whatever she worshipped as a woman of Moab. When she married, she left it all behind. Everything. She's gone with Naomi. And in our gospel this morning, we see much the same thing. Who are my mother and my brothers? Anyone who does the will of God. And what is the will of God for you and I? What is the will of God? Pastor Scott talked about it last week. What are we to do? To love God with all our heart, all our soul, with all our might, with every part of our being, every fiber that makes us who we are. We're to love God. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is what we are to do. This is God's will. You do this, all the commandments fall into place. You love God. You love your neighbor. You don't break any commandments. You're obeying God's will. And we do this, why? Because we have been saved by grace through faith. I want to do what is pleasing to God. I want to obey him. The best way for me to do that is to love God and to show it in my life and to love you, my neighbors, my friends. You know, I haven't done a wedding for a long time, but generally every wedding that I do, I remind the bride and the groom of this story that we're to love God with all our heart, our soul, our might, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And then I tell them, and who is your neighbor? Who is your dearest neighbor? It's the one you're marrying. The bride for the groom and the groom for the bride. Your closest friend, your closest neighbor. Love them with all your heart. And everyone else as well. And it all falls into place. Now, someone told me this morning that they find the story of Ruth very inspiring because she left everything. Where you go, I will go. Your gods will be my gods. Where you die, I will die. I find that very inspiring. I do remember, truly, as a young boy, hearing this story and just thinking about those words. Where you go, I will go. You know... I was too young to really know what that meant. But I could see it in my mom and dad. Mom left her family in North Dakota to be with her husband in Minnesota. And then dad moved his family to southern Minnesota. You know, I was beginning to make connections. I really didn't make them until about 30 years later, but <laughs> it started. We are members of God's spiritual family. Not because we deserve it. Not because we've earned it. But through the love and the grace of God. Hesed. So who are my mother and my brothers? Think of the implications of Jesus' question for his disciples standing there. You cannot take membership in the family of God for granted. You know, I'd like to think it's mine because I'm a good Norwegian Lutheran who drinks coffee, our third sacrament. But that's not how it works. Those who are near to God should think again.
who examine that relationship. Those who are far from him, at least in their own minds, should take hope because Jesus redefines family. Those who do God's will, who love, are God's family. It's implicit for those of us who are saved by grace through faith that we are also obedient to God's will. Again, not to, main, not to gain God's favor or grace, but because of it, because we've been given it. Loving God with all our heart, with all our strength, with all our soul, with every fiber of our beings, loving our neighbor as ourself. On these, Jesus said, the law and the prophets depend. So what are we to do? We're to love. Seems so simple. And it kind of is. Amen.